The passage uh, on which the teaching is based is from Acts 4. We are continuing our study in the book of Acts. We had a break last week with Shane uh, preaching for us and having the celebration of RUF's 10th anniversary. Um, When we look at Acts, you might think of Acts like, you know, the superheroes have an origin story. Where did that come from? What's the power? And not just superheroes. Any of us, we like to know where have we come from. And Acts, the church certainly didn't begin in the book of Acts. It begins all the way back in Genesis. But uh, in Acts, we see the, the final manifestation of the last days and the Holy Spirit coming and the church flowering. And it's a great way for us today to study where we came from. Just a quick recap. Chapter 1, Jesus has, uh, he was resurrected in the Gospels. And in Acts, we see that he's visiting. He's visited, showed himself to the 500 and more. Uh, but he comes to the disciples in the 120, and he promises his Holy Spirit, and then he ascends. Chapter 2 is Pentecost. Right, so 50 days after Passover, where the Holy Spirit comes in power And now the voices of the apostles can be heard and the gospel message goes forward. The church grows from 120 to 3,000 that day. Uh, And then we aren't told how long later, but right there after that time, uh, we've been in one story. Chapter 3 and 4 are really one story where a man, as Peter and John are heading up into the temple to pray, there was a man who was healed, right? He was lame from birth and he begins to leap and praise God. And then crowds were gathered and Peter enters his second sermon and and 5,000 were added that day. And then we come to the end of that story where we are this morning. And that's where we'll be. I'm going to do a little bit of paraphrasing. Chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 1 to 31. I'll paraphrase a little, read a little, but then throughout the sermon we'll refer back to the actual text. But what happens is the Sadducees who are one of the groups that lead, that don't believe in the resurrection, they're angry. And they're annoyed because Peter and John were preaching that the resurrection comes through Jesus. And here's what Peter says to them and to those that were with them, Annas and Caiaphas and the others. He says in verse 8, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed... Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, that he had nothing to say in opposition, or they had nothing to say in opposition, and so they essentially confer and agree to let Peter and John go, but warn them to stop teaching about Jesus, and so in verse 20, um, let's see, verse 19, they answered this, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. 
for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus, you call us to follow your message going forward on this kingdom of yours throughout this land with boldness. But Lord, often we are weak, we are fearful, and we read these words of those who have gone before us in the faith, who are witnesses to us. Lord, really through whom we've heard your gospel. There's a lineage tied to them somehow, some way. And this morning, Lord, with your Holy Spirit present, the same Holy Spirit who empowered them, we pray you would empower us to be filled with boldness because of your gospel. Amen. It's, um, it's really quite fascinating to think about the contrast of Peter. Right, 50 days ago, 55 days ago, Peter is tracking with Jesus as he's being arrested and taken into his trial, and Peter denies him three times, Right? And he's, he's the, most, the lowest moment of his life, and he's sorrowful. And we know at the end of the book of John where Peter sees the resurrected Jesus on the shore, he jumps in the water and swims to him, and Jesus and he start to feast with the others with fish. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep three times, showing him his forgiveness and his mission. And here we have Peter now that he realizes Jesus has been raised from the dead, and Peter's in the power of the Holy Spirit He's telling the story with boldness. And at the very end of our passage, I love this, this, this imagery, this real imagery that actually happened, that there was a shaking, like a quake. Often when God is working, there is power, there is quaking, there is shaking. Chris Austin says this, uh, I'm probably saying his name wrong, early church father, Chris Austin, Chris Austin, Chris Austin, who wants to correct me publicly? He says this, the place was shaken, and that made them more unshaken. The place being shaken, the spirit being present, created in them, the Holy Spirit's presence in their lives and in their community, the ability to be unshaken in what they did. And so the Holy Spirit brings you and I boldness, right? We're going to get three ways. It's going to, through what, the first way is what is the boldness um, against, and that's the vanities of life. Why can we be against it is the, the, the reality of our future life breaks in. And then finally, how? How can we have the boldness? And we're going to see it through gospel community. 
So let's start with life's vanity. Um, it's fascinating that when they gather together in prayer, Peter and John are released. They've come back to the people, their friends, and they begin to pray. They begin to have a worship service. And they quote Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage in our version in the, in the Greek now? Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? And what they recognize is that this psalm has been played out in their midst. Like they're seeing this as a prophecy. It's just, by, just as an aside, it's, it's a great way to start a prayer meeting, reading a psalm, coming together and talking through psalms and praying through the psalms privately and publicly. But they pray this psalm, and I just want to tease it out a little bit. Uh, the people's plot in vain. The, the, the Hebrew there, if you go to Psalm 2 for plot, is the same Hebrew word from Psalm 1, meditate. Blessed is the man who meditates on the law, who chews, who thinks about. So the problem isn't plotting. The, the, the problem is what you plot with. So think of plotting like, you know, you spread out the, the map and you, you know, you nail the four corners down and you begin to plot your, your plans for life. Like that's normal. That's good to plot. The problem is when we plot in vain, right? They're astounded because they are plotting along wrong paths. What do I mean? Well, look at who's doing the plotting. You have both Gentiles, but you also have the Israelites, the people. And so you find that you have, and we skipped over their names, but Annas and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who are of the high priestly family. These people murdered, like they put Jesus on trial. And these are the good guys. Like they weren't in the wrong religion. The, Jesus didn't come and say, we're going to get rid of Judaism and found this completely new thing. Like Peter and John were going up to the temple. The idea was Jesus is the cornerstone, the long waited for Messiah. He's the one you should have been plotting for. And what we see are these religious people have been plotting wrongly the entire time. And of course, Herod and Pilate, Rome. Rome will never go away. Fight for Rome, it's gone. There's no Rome. Right? The Roman Empire is gone. So we plot in vain so often. I, I envision um, standing on wrong foundations, standing on something that you think is solid and it's going to secure your life and it shakes on you. Growing up watching cartoons, I, watched, I was one of those kids that watched a lot of cartoons. Of course, there weren't as many back then. Um, but there was always a, a theme where like the, they thought they were safe, somebody running from somebody, and then you know, the, you'll know what I'm talking about. And they think they're fine, and then it ends up they're standing on top of a whale. You know what I'm talking about? Or a dinosaur. And it moves, and now they realize the very thing they were running from became the enemy. Anyone, right, just come on. Anyone, I just need some, because I don't know the particular cartoon, but I think it was played out in every company, you know, because they all stole from each other. We do that. We look in the mirror. Beauty, that's going to be my foundation. And then we lean in and notice some new wrinkles. All right, it starts to shake, Right? Um, I remember working with a man for a few years who um, his story was how broke and destitute he got at midlife. But God had brought him into his brother's business. His brother got sick. He started helping his brother in this business in Edmond. And he says, now, 
if my checking account dips below $100,000, I get nervous. And he was bragging. I mean, mine dips below $100,000 every day. So I'm okay. What is the foundation you're standing on? What are the things you're looking to? What life things are you resting in? Because the Holy Spirit wants us to recognize these things. I think the reason why this early church could come together, one of the reasons, is they stopped running after the futile things. They saw the vanity at life's pursuits. But 2,000 plus years later, we have become sucked back into those things. Right? We've lost sight of the true enemy. We've lost sight of the fact that death in this world is fading, isn't going to save us. We lost sight of the fact that 19-year-old athletes who play at the University of Oklahoma cannot rescue us. I went to OU for those of you that are visiting. And I did not think I cared about that football game until we lost. And then I knew I was standing on a false foundation for the moment. So now you can make fun of them all you want. What foundations are you standing on? Why then does the Holy Spirit, why can the Holy Spirit reveal that vanity? And going back to Psalm 2, this is point two because of the next life's reality. Going back to Psalm 2, which is quoted in verse 26, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. That's an interesting way to say it. What's he saying? What's David saying in Psalm 2? What is this community praying in the Spirit freshly here in Acts 4? It's this, that when our foundation isn't in Jesus, we're not just a little off. We're not just a little, you know, maybe a little growth needs to happen. We are actually actively against him in that space. We're saying, I don't trust you. I don't believe the resurrection will help this situation. So where is the resurrection in our passage? Verses, uh, the very first verses, the Sadducees came and were greatly irritated, greatly annoyed, verse two, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus that the resurrection from the dead, that Peter and John are saying, Jesus, who we all know hung on a cross 50 something days ago, rose again. And that means something for you and I, that there is hope. Right? Do we have that hope? And then in verse 10, Peter's defense, let it be known, he's saying to the tribunal in front of him boldly, let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, and he can point there because he was pointing his finger at them, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man standing here is made well. Do you, I just want to tell that story. We've talked about it for a while, but just remember the story of the man. There's a man who, from birth, could not walk. His disability was such that his own friends had to bring him. He could not get to the temple on his own. Obviously, in that culture, there was not help for the handicapped, both for their bodies and for ramps. So friends would have to deliver them there. And the man sitting there is crying out for alms, which would be fitting. 
Like this would be a natural, like that's your role in life. And our role in life is to supply you money so we feel good about ourselves. And Peter and John walk up, remember the story, and they say, we don't have gold and silver, but I do have something better. You will be healed in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And the man stands up and he begins to leap. And whatever he does in that leaping and praising of God creates the crowd. Like the crowd sees him and recognizes him and gathers for Peter's sermon. And a few weeks ago, you may have remembered in my conclusion, we talked about this, that in Peter's sermon, the whole time, we find out in verse 11, that the man was clinging to him. Okay, so here's this man who goes from leaping to seeing this crowd to clinging, whether he's holding or however that looks, to the one who represented Jesus to him. And what we're talking about right now is how the future resurrection broke into this man's life. Is it breaking into your life? I'm fascinated that even then, they spent the night in jail. So I don't know if that came out in the way I did this, but they were arrested at night. They go to jail. They spend the night in whatever jail looked like back then. And this morning, or the next morning, the next day, they come, and they're separated because they have to report to the people. So the people aren't all there. The crowds that they're part of are not in, the, in this room. Only Peter and John, we aren't told if a few others are with them or not. But it says in verse 14, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them. So this story continues. The man wasn't just clinging during the sermon. He seems to be, have spent the night in jail or waited for them. And during the trial, he comes back in. He was healed far more great than his ankles being healed. Does that make sense? Is the future breaking in? What does that mean? What does, Jesus, what does this Jesus offer us? Peter calls him the cornerstone. The cornerstone of the temple. That is the stone that you would, a builder would choose by which all other stones would be measured. You are the temple. Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians, right? In chapter 3, he gives these great metaphors of, of he and Barnabas' role in planting, and you are the growth that is the church. And then he turns it to building, and he says, you know, I laid a foundation, a cornerstone, and you guys are the temple built on that stone. What does that mean? If you're a Christian and the Holy Spirit is on you, you are a co-heir a son, a daughter of the king. That is your position before God Almighty. That is your role, and you can have boldness. Do you feel that? Sometimes. Peter felt it here. We know later, Peter didn't feel it so much. We know that Paul tells us the story that in Antioch, Peter sifts back into his old ways and, and eats with the Jews and sort of turns against the Gentiles unwittingly. The point is we struggle in this life but, the, but our position is secure. The Spirit has brought you in, has adopted you. Do you see that as your role? Galatians 2.20, for you have been crucified with Christ. I always get the two mixed up. Should I turn to it? Should I try? When you're preaching, you don't just go from memory. For I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17, isn't it? That's right. For I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. So the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. I am a new creation. Does that, even if you get the verse mixed up, does that truth 
settle in your heart? Are you a new creation? How do you deal with that? And then in verse 22, we're, gonna, we're tracking this man. It's just fascinating how Luke gives us his whole story. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Why? Why do we need to know that? What does it look like for a 40-year-old person? I'm 44. What would it look like for a 44-year-old person to go from a life of having never walked and all that that means to you to being saved in Christ? Like, he was, you read it when you go back to the, the almsgiving incident. Peter and John look at him. They make eye contact. That was probably unusual for him. They gaze at him. That is very unusual for him. So here he is saved and he's healed, but he's got 40 years of life for sanctification to go backwards and fix. Is that something you process? I, I came across this quote Uh, This week, by an author, he says, The work of growing in Christ, what we call sanctification, does not mean we don't go back to the past as we press ahead to what God has for us. Listen to the last sentence. It actually demands we go back in order to break free from unhealthy and destructive patterns that prevent us from loving ourselves and others as God designed. Are we aware of the places in our stories and in our pasts where we are still acting as if we are still in that condition, but it's seeping into the present? Sanctification, the future resurrection breaking in is us being healed in those places. Us going back to those places with trusted friends, with pastors, with counselors, with whomever, with Jesus himself in prayer and with the Holy Spirit knowing that that is not what we felt then is not who we really are today. That is how sanctification, that's one of the means by which sanctification can happen. And of course, the final and the most important thing is this gospel community, this last point where we see that, that both the vanity of this life and the future resurrection really break in through the Holy Spirit and point three, the how, and that's this gospel community. Americans, we cringe when we're told, and I have for years, that your health, your well-being, your getting better is dependent on community. There is just something in the water as Americans that make us go, no, 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 please no, please no. I mean, I remember going through a Bible study that um, it was Sonship years ago, um, and I remember them talking about loving, and I'm like, when are we going to get to like the discipleship stuff? I, I remember complaining. I don't want to just love people better. I don't want to just know other people well and share life together. I want to, like, be better. Like, I want to be disciplined. No, discipline is critical and good and beautiful, but my heart wanted to be independent and autonomous. I'm confessing that. That's what I wanted then. And I think oftentimes in American Christianity, we come to passages like this, and we walk away with, what do I need to do? And yet most of this passage is community-based. Just listen to the words from verse 23. When they were released, stop and imagine. You've just been let out of jail, falsely arrested. You've just stood before the most terrifying group of people. They killed your Lord and Savior 55 days ago. And you're standing there, and the Spirit has given you power to tell them the truth. And they let you go. Like, that, I didn't see that coming. 
And what do you do? They run, not to Disneyland. No, they went to their friends. They went to their friends. The Greek idiom for friend there, you can, it later in Acts is translated as their own or one's own or one's home. Daryl Bach, um, one of the commentators that I, I was reading on this, says the expression is not accidental as it presses the point of how the early church saw itself as a community of mutually supportive friends. So friends is a great translation. The problem isn't that the friends is a wrong word. I think the problem is our modern understanding of friends is too weak. It's, it's, it's your people. Where do you go when you have trouble? Is it the church? Is it people? Brothers and sisters, isolation is going to kill you. And let me just say this. Your community is only as good as what you share with it. So if I say all the good things about me, but I hide all the bad things, and I don't really have anybody I can share that with, then I'm not really fully in community. I'm not fully known. Right? The places that you're hiding, the things that you're keeping secret will destroy you. Satan will use those things to bring you down. You must find community. This is a great place to start. Right, uh, when we are doing new members classes, uh, one day I just we had just moved in the building, and I just told the new members, like I walked over to the wall, and they thought I was weird. Some of you were in that room. I said, "This is your wall, like this is your building." And then I realized that's so shallow. This is just a building. When Dan Iverson visited, I said, well, "We'll meet at the church." He's like, "No, we won't. We'll meet at the building." The church is the people. These are your people. Do we know each other? Do we get together? Do we even like each other? And if not, the answer is, back to point one and two, we're standing on the wrong foundation and we're not letting the future break in, points number one and two. Even neurobiologists, when you read them, these are people who, the the author I'm thinking of is not a Christian, but but through science and study says brains are designed, the human brain has to connect with a network of other human brains, just as your own neurons have to connect together to survive. They've, through studies, through scans, it will, you will not survive. Well, that's how Jesus designed us. And Satan loves your isolation. You want to know who does this well? Mark Tower's not here. I don't see the tower. So Crossfitters. Crossfitters do this well. Now, let it be known, I have not used a Crossfit illustration in a long time. And secondly, let it be known, this is not my version of CrossFit. I do not do this. When I go on vacation, when I went to Colorado, I had zero desire to go to a box. You know what a box is? That's the CrossFit gym. See, we've renamed everything because that's how cool CrossFit is. But I was at the, this pastor's meeting and this guy shows up. He's like, yeah, I got here early. I went to a box in Boulder. And you know, you get the t-shirt, you find the local place, you meet the people. It's like, this is my tribe, we all have our tribes online, right? These, and these are good things, clubs, hobbies. But is this community your tribe, right? When we travel, do we look for local churches? Are we trying to connect? The, the very mission that when I went to in Japan was started because a doctor was invited to go to Tokyo to do a, a, a lecture, and he takes the honorarium given to him, and he finds the local missionaries, and he gives it to them, and that's how he became connected to that Dan Iverson, who became connected to Oklahoma, which is why we even went into missions for that year, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, 
Who's your tribe? I was watching a video online of a, of a pastor um, of a mega church, much like this one. And um, he was just, I should start doing like a whiteboard. But he had, the, maybe some of you saw this, but he had hosts and he had guests. And this is, a, you know, sometimes when you have a mega church, the problems can be more people think of themselves as guests. You know, where's the coffee? You know, where's the thing? Just leave, you know. And, and that's what we want. We want guests. If you're a guest, come in and be a guest. But our goal is for all of us to be hosts. That was his point. And I would go further. Our hope is for all of us to become family, to become known by each other, not equally with every person, but is the gospel moving us in that direction? Next week, we're going to have a really fun sermon. I hope you will come because we're going to talk about Ananias and Sapphira. Who's excited about that? Right? Ananias and Sapphira, for those of you that can't remember off the top of your head, uh, they gave a lot of money to the church, which we encourage. The problem was they didn't give all of their money. Well, that's what we really want. No, I'm kidding. I was meeting with someone, um, Adam Young, if you know the name, and I was telling him I was going through Acts, and he said, what are you going to do with Ananias and Sapphira? And I was talking to Roger Miller about that too this week, and I don't know. I don't know. We'll talk about that next week. But here's what I do know. It starts in verse 32, and it moves forward, and it's really a, a passage about this community like sharing life together. Bonhoeffer says this, let him who cannot be alone Beware of community. So if you can't handle just some time with Jesus, time by yourself, community is going to be hard for you. But he says, let him who cannot be in community beware of being alone. Right? So life together is us resting in the power of the Spirit. And here's how it's done. The Spirit changes your foundation. By shaking that room, by shaking these people, they were being made aware of, of the fact that their entire foundation was shaken. Remember the previous earthquakes in the Bible? Like when Jesus died, there was an earthquake and the veil was torn and there was shaking. And it's, this, it's God's way of saying, what is your foundation? This is one of the things he's saying, not the only thing he's saying in, in, in an earthquake. What is your foundation? What are you standing on? Are you standing on the fact that you are already Hear this out, and I'll be close. Resurrected. Like, for Peter, his life had been transformed. Paul later says to live as Christ, to die as gain. I don't, my bank account, my, the way I look in the mirror, all those things, though important, are not what I plot my life by. I plot my life by the fact that I am a new creation in Christ. And that only can come through the Holy Spirit's power. And that Holy Spirit's design is to not just bring you to know Jesus, but it's to spread through the community. I remember watching Lonesome Dove with the stampede and the, and the lightning strikes and they just all the antlers. Anyone? Like lightning? It's a great movie, so that's just something else I don't quote very much from. I, I want the Spirit to move through me and through all of us. And, and just to kind of close off, what I love about their prayer is this. And now, Lord, look upon their threats, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. The prayer wasn't, and Lord, look upon their threats and keep us from ever going to jail again. Keep us from getting harmed. He didn't pray that prayer. 
the, the group, the, the friends, the community prayed for boldness while you, Lord, are stretching out your hand and healing and you're performing signs and wonders through your name. Our job is not to go do all that. Our job is to follow the wave of Jesus by having faith that his spirit's already at work. Can we see that? Can we do that? Can we rest in him for that? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you are at work. Forgive us for thinking this origin story stopped at Acts 28. Lord, it continues. And Lord, we can't see it as clearly sometimes. But there are those moments, Lord, where we know the stirrings of our heart, the renewal of our marriages, of our relationships, seeing someone come to know Jesus, to know you for the first time, loving our children, discipling them, raising them up to be followers for you. Lord, in the meal we are about to take together as a family of friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, as as the missionaries go out across the world sharing the good news, even in the face of persecution we hear so much of, Lord, let us be people who are bold because of the gospel you've given us of your son. Amen.